everybody, and welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. I'm Danielle Sullivan, and I'm your host. I am so happy to be here with you today. Today, we have some really exciting stuff to talk about with our guest. Before we get to that, I just want to say first, thank you to all of my patrons for supporting the Neurodiverging Podcast. I had some significant health issues last April, and your funding enabled me to still maintain this podcast, get the transcripts out, and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. If you would like to be a patron and support this podcast by donating a small uh, amount of money every month to support transcription, support my ability to keep doing this, to support the research, uh, to keep Leo in kitty treats uh, occasionally, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash neurodiverging and pledge a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars a month, and you get tons of bonuses and also the uh, pride of keeping this going. So thank you to all of those who are currently patrons. Um, my children are home, so there may be noises in the background because it is almost summer here in Colorado in terms of school. And so, uh, you know, we persist on. The second thing I just want to mention is that uh, starting in July, um, we are debuting our neurodiverging collaborative parenting class, which is all about how to parent for neurodivergent families in a way that is democratic, that is collaborative, where you are working together on a team with your family and your kiddos, where we'll have strategies in place to help you work with kids with pathological demand avoidance, oppositional defiance. These are all words that I don't love the way that they're framed and medicalized and pathologized, but just so you know what I'm talking about, I'm using them. Autism, ADHD, other types of neurodivergences. If you have kiddos um, who need different parenting approaches, like my kiddos do, um, and you are having trouble and you are committed to sort of gentle parenting, but just need help tweaking um, what the books are telling you and what these classes are telling you for your kiddos, this is a perfect opportunity for you. It is a six-week program. Um, it is designed specifically by me for neurodivergent families. And uh, you can be neurotypical if you have neurodivergent kiddos. It's for you know families with neurodivergence in them. And we'll be going through how to use collaborative parenting in a way that supports your kiddos, supports you, reduces yelling, reduces stress, reduces demands for everybody, and just makes everything easier, right? Um, so if you're interested in that, it's priced around 50 bucks a week for, you know, one-on-one -on -one access with me. It's a group coaching program, so you have a cohort going through it with you. Get, you get a lot of specialized information on what we're doing, um, and I will put a link below. We're in pre-registration now, so if you're interested, have a look, or if you know anyone who might be interested, have a look. The second thing I want to announce briefly is that on May 25th, a couple of days after this podcast goes out, our guest and one of their colleagues has put together this amazing thing called World Unmasking Day, which I am so pleased to be participating in. And we'll be talking about it more in the podcast, but please check out the links below for uh, links to World Unmasking Day. We would love it if you would participate. The idea is basically that uh, anybody with any kind of neurodiversity often is masking or kind of going undercover to appear more neurotypical. And we do this for lots of reasons, and that's a whole nother topic. Um, and many of them are very good reasons. But for this day, World Unmasking Day on May 25th, we are encouraging folks who are comfortable and safe doing so to uh, demonstrate what you're like without masking. And the idea is to lift awareness and to uh, 
encourage people to first recognize how many neurodivergent folks make up the population. Second, that being neurodivergent is actually quite difficult in a neurotypical world and that we are working really hard <laughs> um, to, to fit in. And maybe we shouldn't need to, right? Maybe we should be allowed to stim in public, to not always have the happy face, um, to not have to pretend to read when uh, we, we're dyslexic, all these sorts of masking behaviors that we do, right? Um, so please listen further for more information, but also please check out the links below for more about World Unmasking Day. If you participate on Instagram or anywhere, use the hashtag World Unmasking Day so we can all see it. All right. And now I would love to introduce our fantastic guest today. This is Chantelle Gagnon. And I took uh, German and, and Latin, so I'm really sorry, Chantelle. <laughs> Chantal Gagnon is the founder of Socolo, which is an inclusive stationary company that designs notebooks with consideration for people with neurodiversities and visual stress. Through Socolo, Chantal aims to normalize the use of color paper for adults as well as children and help make workspaces more accommodating for the neurodiverse and light sensitive. Chantelle was diagnosed with dyslexia and Erlen syndrome at a young age and found the lack of support available to neurodivergent adults shocking once she left the education system. This fuels her passion to advocate for a more inclusive world for people of all ages. She often gives talks to universities and startups on the importance of inclusive design. I have a huge passion for inclusive design, despite my lack of kind of visual <laughs> design ability. And so when Chantelle got in touch with me, I was really excited about that, but also I had personally never heard of Erlen syndrome in the United States and looked it up and was like, I think this is really pertinent to a lot of neurodivergent people that I talk to on a day-to-day -day basis. So I really hope that this podcast uh, will help some of you. We are talking about Chantelle's experience with dyslexia and being diagnosed with Erlen syndrome, um, why she founded Sokolo, her stationary company, and why it's different than other ones, and why even little things like having um, colored paper available for adults, which she was having trouble finding, can make life so much easier for neurodivergent people. And then at the end, we're talking about Chantelle's initiative with her colleague about um, World Unmasking Day on the 25th of May. And so I hope you'll listen to the end and find out more about that. Without further ado, here we go on to our interview. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Chantelle. It's so nice to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. When you got in touch with me, I was so excited because I think what you're doing is so unique and so different than um, a lot of folks I've talked to in kind of the neurodiversity field. And you have this business that like really practically offers a very unique support for certain kind of neurodiverse individuals. So I'm just so excited to talk to you. Um, so I want to talk to you first, if it's okay, a little bit about you so our listeners can start to get to know you. Can you just tell us a little bit about you and your background? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Canada and uh, I was diagnosed when I was in roughly like grade two. Um, so I just was, I lucked out and I happened to have a teacher who had a disabled child and was able to kind of direct my mom in the right direction. So the teacher wasn't exactly sure what was going on. My mom knew there was something going on, um, but um, she was able to kind of point my mom into like reading different books and different resources. And so um, after that, I quickly got diagnosed with Erlen syndrome and dyslexia. And um, then when I was in about grade six, um, I was finally able to go to a school that specialized in um, educating students with learning disabilities. 
And so for grade six, um, grade seven, I managed to skip grade eight. And then for grade nine, I was in this like very special, beautiful environment that like really catered to any accommodation I really needed and just really supported me. And so at that school, I was able to actually learn how to read. I read my first novel at the school. Um, so that was always really exciting. Um, and I actually got so confident that I actually felt like, like I could go to like a regular high school after that. Um, and then um, I went off to university. And when I was in university, I kind of debated being um, an artist or a scientist. And I was it was just very clear that I couldn't keep up um, education wise. So um, post-secondary was just starting to get a bit too hard. So uh, the science kind of went out the window and I really focused on arts because it was definitely more hands-on yeah. um, and not so much memorizing and focusing on, on exams. And so um, I ended up being a graphic designer and um, ended up getting my like dream job as um, a creative strategist where my job was to think of ideas for companies all day, all day long. <laughs> and I'm such an idea generator that it was just like the best job for me. Um, but again, like I just couldn't really fit into an office environment. So I eventually left, um, did freelance graphic design for a bit. And then eventually um, I kind of got fed up one day with not being able to find stationery that accommodated my needs. Mm-hmm. And it kind of occurred to me and I was like, I'm a graphic designer. I could actually do this and like make it myself. Um, and then that's how I started Stokolo. And so my life's kind of gone a bit I like to think that it's like gone full circle a bit where I've now like um, have re-embraced the neurodiverse community a lot um, after feeling, I, I never felt rejected by the, the neurodiverse community, but I felt like when I went into like the workplace and university that I wasn't, no, like that I wasn't really a part of it anymore. I didn't feel the community sense of it. Um, so now I really feel like I'm like back in the community and just love it. <laughs> I really, really want to talk about your business. Before we get into that more, can you talk a little bit about your experience with Erlen syndrome and kind of what it is and how it's affected you? Because um, I Googled it when you got in touch with me, but I don't think it's a term that's used very much in the States from what I could tell. Um, And I was just interested in your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Erlen syndrome goes by like several different names. There's like Myers-Erlen syndrome, Erlen syndrome, visual stress. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's way more common than people actually think. So about yeah. 15 to per, to 20% of adults tend to have it. And, uh, or sorry, not, not adults, like everyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in the um, neurodiverse community, like about 50% of dyslexics have it, um, about 50% of even autistic people have it. Mm-hmm. So it's really like a lot more prevalent within the neurodiverse community. And essentially what it is, is it's a perception processing disorder. And so- Essentially, how it affects me is um, in certain lighting environments, I get really affected by it. It gives me like these terrible, terrible headaches. When Mm -hmm. I was a child, it really manifested itself in like temper tantrums. And so I'd go to like the mall with my mom or even the grocery store and I'd leave in like a horrible temper temper tantrum. And she would not be able to understand what went wrong. Um, And uh, I would come home from school really frustrated. And so essentially, like when, when I read for me, it, it can look, it can look different for other people. But when I read on white paper with, uh, with black letters on top, um, it looks like the letters are floating on top of the page. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, there's like a bit of this distraction because it, it doesn't look like it's attached to the white. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, things kind of jiggle and move a bit. So as a child learning to read, that's really distracting. Yeah. Um, and especially when you're really having to focus and trying to sound out a word 
and everything around it starts moving around even more it it's just yeah it's it's just a a little bit of a disaster so um I got tested and essentially what they do is um, you can get tested at like opticians, but you can also get tested with the like Erlen syndrome association. And what they do is like, it's it's like a regular eye test, but with colors and they figure out what's your perfect color. They get you to read. Um, They have all these different like tests to see like where where your reading um, improves. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, it was always this purpley blue color um is what I got for the is what I got for the lens but when it comes to paper it's sort of like a corally orangey pink tone which is kind of my ideal paper like and and that that is quite common where like your lenses will be different than like the paper you like to use and and it tends to be on the opposite side of side of um the color spectrum Um, thank you that's so interesting (laughs) because I was googling it and I was like I've talked to a lot of folks on this podcast um and I have uh sensory processing challenges just kind of generally in in vision and auditory processing and in tactile uh kind of touch processing and I was looking at I'd never heard of Erlen syndrome before I got your message and I was looking it up and I was like, huh, this seems like a really important facet of the whole sensory processing issue for a lot of like, I'm autistic. So of course I was thinking for autistics specifically, um, but for everybody who who deals with sensory processing challenges and then the US it's just kind of lumped under this um, sensory processing uh, disorder. And usually it's attached to autism or ADHD. I was like, wow, there's a whole nother, <laughs> there's a whole nother, diagnosis process and specific way. And I'm like, I know so many people who probably from what they've described, you know, not to uh, armchair diagnose people, but it's like, wow, I want to email all these people and say, you should go check this out. (laughs) Cause it just seems like such an important potential gap in, in how, uh, how it's been understood in the States anyway. So I just really appreciate you explaining your experience with it because I bet a lot of folks are going to listen to it and be like, oh, I need to go get my kiddo assessed for this. (laughs) And the funny thing is with Erlen syndrome is I find, and I, this is going to sound so, so strange, but when I've talked to quite a few parents about it, I see like two reactions happen where one parent will be like, wow, this is fantastic. And then another parent almost reacts to it as if it's like a gimmick. And I don't know how to kind of explain it other than that, but essentially where it's like, well, does color paper really help that much? Or like, d- does, can sun like, and they'll call them sunglasses, can sunglasses yeah. really help tinted that much? Tinted lenses, yeah. Right. And like, I mean, yeah, like they are tinted lenses. Yes, they, they look like sunglasses. So like, to me, like, you know, mixing up the terminology doesn't really offend me too much, but um, it is, it, it does make a difference. And when you're a kid or, or an adult and you're in an office for eight hours if you can stop a headache from happening mm-hmm. by 20% or like, you know, for it, for you to get it two hours later in the day, that's like, a, that builds up so much it over time, really does. right? Yeah. And so to me, like, you know, even if it just helps me like by 20% or um, by even more than that, right? Like to me, it's so worth it. So um, I, I always think it's always worth giving it a go. I mean, like always, always the cheaper option is to play around with like colored paper at yeah. first and then to go look for like tinted lenses and things. And, but you'll even see kids like, um, where they will be drawn to certain sunglass colors mm-hmm. and they'll love them and not, not want to take off the sunglasses. Right. Yeah. And so, so, so some kids naturally kind of like know and sort of attempt to fix the fix yeah. the issue themselves without realizing it. and it comes off as like a quirky thing that the kid does yeah um but yeah it's I, I really wish Erlen syndrome was known about a lot more since so many people with neurodiversities 
do you actually have it? Yeah, the statistics that you mentioned are really high. And I'm totally with you on if, if it's 20% more uh, of your energy that you get back or 20% more of your day that you are not feeling awful, that's a huge amount. And I'm also just thinking, I feel like it was in one of Temple Grandin's books like 10 or 15 years ago, where she was talking about how, you know, what, what are some basic things you can do to help autistic uh, youth. And she was like, just go to the the store and try on a bunch of sunglasses and find the one that reduces uh, light sensitivity for you. And thinking about what you're saying now, I'm like, huh, there, <laughs> maybe there's another example of, you know, this kind of conflation of Erlen syndrome with kind of autistic sensory processing disorder and way. So that's really, really helpful. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value from from hearing that from you. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. Um, you talked a little bit about how um, school and your ability to kind of do the higher level of school was affected by dyslexia and Erlen syndrome, but were there any kind of specific things that you had trouble with? Um, and I'm asking more for parents who might have kiddos like you were, um, are there patterns of, of things that you struggled with in school or accommodations that you had access to that helped or things that would have helped that maybe you didn't get? Just, just to give people like perspective, like I, I, I'm 30 years old. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I went to school like quite, quite a long time ago. I'm sure things have changed since then. Um, but one of, one of the things that really was challenging is the underfunding that mm-hmm. schools get. So I did find that accommodations could sometimes be first come first serve. Yeah. Um, I think that has changed a little bit. <laughs> so when, so when I went to like the learning disabled school, when I had an exam, I had a physical person sit beside me and read the exam to me. And mm-hmm. I would have um, a physical person to like describe for me. Mm-hmm. That was so helpful and so um, freeing compared to like, and back in the day we had like tapes. Yeah. <laughs> so then having like, like, like your exam on like on a tape. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so um, to, to have an actual person be able to sit there and read it to you um, is amazing. And I think mm-hmm. as well um, for me to have it, um, I really hope that nowadays that they do it on like MP3s and allow students to have, to be able to adjust the speed of, of the reader. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm one of the, like, I listen to audible all the time and for me easily double speed. Yep, me too. Both I'm most one of books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And so if, if we're skilled with that, if that's a way that we can speed ourselves up, then that should be given to us. Meanwhile, then have it to play at whatever speed the reader is at. Because sometimes mm-hmm. you get a reader that's really slow, really slow. like really slow. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 painful to like sit through a really long exam and do that. And you know that this person who's reading it is eating into your time to process and answer mm-hmm. the questions. Um so I think being able to like adjust your speed, um, but the biggest thing I, okay. So the one thing that I wish that I think like the school system failed me with at is I think accommodations to help children learn to read and pass school is great, but we also need to think of what are the, what are accommodations that we can give the students that they will also get in the workplace mm-hmm. because there's doesn't seem to be an overlap, like a ton of the accommodations that I got as a child, you do not get yeah. the minute you go to work or, yeah. or, or if you go to university sometimes. Right. And so um, I think that there needs to be this conversation between like the government who kind of controls 
the accommodations that are in the in the workplace and the government that controls education <laughs> and they need to have a chat and say like okay like what what are the accommodations that will overlap because no one's given me extra time for anything when mm. as an adult right yeah. um which helped me so much on exams and I don't want that taken away from me but I need accommodations that also help me as an adult and that and to be taught how to ask for accommodations as an adult mm -hmm. so for example in high school when I went so I so I went from this like beautiful learning disability friendly school to all of a sudden high school where the learning disability department was literally the size of a janitor's closet yeah <laughs> and so you know and things coming first come first serve and when you ask teachers for accommodations you kind of knew that you were like a pain in the butt and so you kind of had to be like oh excuse me miss please if it's not too much trouble you know oh blah blah and you had to like almost make yourself small in order to ask for accommodations meanwhile as an adult the number one thing I learned and it took me way too long to learn this is to stop asking and saying this is what I need yeah and to not ask for it right and to be like yeah no 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 problem I will do that for you I will just need this 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 mm -hmm. and this yeah right and so it comes from a place of confidence and um power and this needs to be taught at such a young age and like that practice of being able to um not assert yourself but like uh, maybe that's the word. Um, <laughs> yeah, but assert yourself because you deserve those things because they should just be part and parcel of what you're given in in a basic respect kind of way, right? Then yeah, then in you're asking for extra or you know you're getting more than somebody else's, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. That's um, I think I I basically just agree with everything you've said. Um, I work a lot on helping folks set boundaries and assert themselves as adults, because I, I completely agree that in school, a lot of us are taught to be small, especially if you're a woman or woman presenting person or grown up that way. Um, we are taught to be small and we're not always um, supported or even like respected when we make ourselves big and say, I need this, even though that's what you're going to have to do as an adult and at work. And when you're parenting other kids, you're going to have to be able to say, I need this for my child. I need this for myself. Um, so I think that a lot of, I really love seeing schools and um, kind of local programming that is now dedicated to helping youth become more assertive and be willing to say what they need and to understand what they need, because that's a piece of it too, is that you don't know what you need until you figure out how to make things work. Um, so like that development of youth and young adults to be able to assert is so important. And you're right. It's not something we get in school at all. So I think that's such a good yeah. point. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. Um, can you, can we move into Sokolo? Cause I'm, I'm so excited <laughs> for, and you've talked about it a little bit. So you started this business partially founded out of kind of your needs as somebody with dyslexia and somebody with Erlen syndrome and exactly how you described with the um, color being really important in how you are able to perceive language and to read. And so can you tell us a little bit about your business and what you do and kind of how it plays into your background? Yeah. So, um, essentially like they're okay. So what, what, what I, what I've made isn't, isn't new. Um, so I'm not going to pretend like it is, but, um, <laughs> One of the things that I found most helpful is having colored paper. And I did find that when I went into like the workplace, oftentimes when I'd be writing on colored paper, 
one, it was like nearly impossible to find colored paper notebooks that Mm -hmm. were designed for not children learning how to read and write at that, you know, and and the, the, like, and those notebooks have a place and I'm really glad for it, but they tend to be like of cheaper quality. They tend to be very like throwaway and not designed for longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just not practical for an Adults adult who needs to write, yeah. you know, multiple pages. Right. <laughs> so um, all that I could find was um, like a pad of paper um, that had lines on it, but it, it, it was one of those pads where you could like, just like tear away up the top. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, being dyslexic, like we are prone to be a bit messy <laughs> and disorganized. So it just, it didn't work for me. I needed pages that would stay in a book. Um, and I, I just found like my boss didn't quite like it. I always got a bit of side eye. Mm-hmm. It was always seen as like childish and um, just not professional. Yeah. And so, um, when I could find a notebook, um, I found that I could never find the color that was like right for me, but also I could never, it was always like a company that would kind of have it for like a season and then it would disappear. And so like my needs aren't a trend. I need them like all year round. So, um, yeah, I, I just got really frustrated and being like, I'm 30 years old. Like why, why cannot, well, at the time it was like 28, but I was like, why can I, I not find a notebook that like works for me? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I started developing it and, um, essentially I, I, I want, I, I wanted, I knew I wanted to create a notebook that had like the most overlap possible. Right. Mm-hmm. So, because I know lots of people with neurodiversities have Erlen syndrome or visual stress, then I knew colored paper, absolutely. Like white paper needs to go. Um, There's enough of that out there. And so colored paper was in. And and so then I just started researching. And so uh, I make all of the lines monochromatic. So if the page is pink, you'll have dark pink lines on it. Um, I make the lines as thin as possible (laughs) as the printer will let me. (laughs) And And the reason why I do this is so when you write on the page, um, the letters don't look like they're connecting so much. Um, and so they're kind of treated more as a guide rather than like, here's a hard line and mm. something visual. Um, and so that, so that helps. I've also went with like really thick paper. So part of the issue with colored paper is it's a bit like transparent. Yeah. Um, and so you have to go quite thick in order to make it, um, not to not ghost, so my paper is at like 120 GSM when most um, notebooks are around 190 GSM. So like, um, you know, d- d- definitely like a bit thicker. Yeah. Um, and my goal with the whole design was when a neurodivergent person goes into the, it goes into a workplace or like university with this notebook. I want a neurotypical person to come up to them and be like, wow, that's a really beautiful notebook. Where yeah. did you get it? Not why are you writing on colored paper? Yeah. Right. And so it, it was all of this comfort and, you know, neurotypical people are more than welcome to buy my notebooks. Oh, I would love it. <laughs> right. But it definitely everything's designed for a neurodivergent mind. And so I started with dyslexia and Erlen syndrome because that's what I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just sort of figured, well, if no one buys them, then at least I have like a lifetime supply of notebooks. Yeah. <laughs> 
but um, I'm now working on notebooks for the autism community and as well for ADHD. Um, and I plan to just keep on like expanding as much as possible. So whenever anyone reaches out to me with like an idea or saying something that they wish was made or something that they find that they had as a kid that doesn't work for them for an adult anymore but they kind of need something similar um I take note of all of that so if anyone (laughs) wants to reach out and has ideas I will am more than happy to have them um and I will I will try to make them right that's fantastic thanks so much so you use your products I mean your products are used in the workplace a lot because that's a place where folks don't always have access to accommodations they need and the colored paper can really help. Are there other accommodations or changes that you'd like to see in workplaces or in schools that would offer more support for people like you with Erlen syndrome or dyslexia or other uh, neurodivergences or disabilities? That was a broad question, but let me know what you think. (laughs) Yeah, so um, one of the areas that I struggled with the most um, in in the workplace is like workplace politics, right? Mm-hmm. And so with Erlen syndrome, one of the best things you can do for, for a person with Erlen syndrome is to ask them like, and someone who's dyslexic, actually anyone who's neurodiverse, like <laughs> where in the office is a good place for you to sit, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because like oftentimes sitting near, like, especially like, 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 you know, like with dyslexia, like sitting near a busy hallway or like a where like a conference store, you know, um, where people are like coming in and out a lot, I can't hear my own thoughts. Right. Mm. But with Erlen syndrome, like I actually needed to sit near a window, right. And a place where like, hopefully I can have lines so I can control the light a bit, but also, so I don't have fluorescent lighting right above my head. Yes. Um, or for the office to be willing to take away the fluorescent lighting above my head. But the window is like my dream spot. Um, you know, for, for, I'm very lucky that, um, sunlight doesn't affect me too, too badly. I mean, if it was like a really, really bright, sunny side of the office, you know, that would be a problem, but you know, like the North side of the office would be great. Yeah. (laughs) A North facing window. Um, so, um, yeah, for, for me, so as an intern, I was like working for this office that was like really progressive. They were like this tech company and had really great workplace culture and I was like wow this is gonna be like working like at a mini google (laughs) right and I they were great on so many fronts but one thing was like office politics really got in the way and so when I was there they gave me this beautiful window desk um and I thought it was because they were accommodating me but it turns out that was the only desk that they had available (laughs) oh Cause they were in the middle of like moving offices yeah. and someone got really upset about it. And so I was there for about a month and finally someone like spoke up, got really upset. And apparently it was like a big deal. Wow. And how dare an intern sit near a window. And so they like ended up moving me to a lunch table. Oh. Um, yeah. That sucks. I'm <laughs> so, so sorry. Like, you, you know, and and like as an intern, you're kind of like, you feel really lucky to get that job and especially like, as a like neurodiverse intern, it was really hard for me to get a job yes. or to get interviews. Um, I had a spelling mistake on my resume for so long. And like both of my parents, English is not their first language. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really have enough people that were like fantastic 
spellers to edit my resume. Mm -hmm. And so for like six months, I was like giving out resumes that had a spelling mistake on it and not getting callbacks, like not realizing that it was because I made us one, literally one spelling mistake. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's just, it's rude and heartbreaking. And so you're kind of in this position where you're just like, okay, like I'll do anything to get this job. So I'll, 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 I'll let all my accommodations go mm-hmm. for the three months, even though I told the office what I need. Yeah. And um, they were upset that I was wearing my sunglasses inside, um, wearing a hat's not completely socially acceptable. And, you know, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that like social norms to ignore social norms is okay. So like, you know, like when, when I would, when I would meet someone, of course, hat and glasses come off. I shake their hands. I do think, you know, people being able to like see my whole face is quite mm-hmm. important. But then, yeah, sunglasses come back on at some point, yeah, right? Like my yeah. two lenses. Um, and so that was like a really hard thing for people to understand and get around because of s- simply office politics. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't even, it, it, it wasn't even that my manager had an issue with me sitting near a window. It was like other people in the office yeah. that, that made a huge fuss about it. Um, luckily they moved to like a new location where like every seat was like a window seat. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, and then like, another thing is like when, 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 when you're an intern, um, you know, I, I would, every interview I would disclose, like I have dyslexia, mm-hmm. I have Erlen syndrome. This is sort of what I need. Um, these are areas that like I struggle with. These are areas mm-hmm. that I'm really good at. Um, cause I think it's always good to lead with like both. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I would get an internship, but then like, you're an intern. So they yeah. think that you're going to be there for three months. They can see you as cheap labor. Um, and so they don't really want to accommodate you. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would sit there and really struggle through the three months and really just like put my head down as like, yeah, okay, whatever I need to do to get this job, I'm, I'll just do it. Yeah. And then you'd get the job and you'd bring up like, guess what? Like I still need accommodations. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and the conversation would be like, well, you didn't need it for the last three months. So why do you need it now? Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you're in a position where you have to like really prove to them that you need accommodations when you shouldn't have to prove it. Mm-hmm. And they really should have been accommodating me as an intern. Right. And like, these are things yeah. that I legally have rights to, but all of a sudden I'm in this like very vulnerable position where, and again, like I'm invested in the job, right? Like I've worked so hard for yeah. three months that, you know, it's sort of like, well, how much do I push? And I know my res. I know that there's gonna be a spelling mistake on my resume. So like, when am I gonna get my next job interview? Mm-hmm. So then, you know, you're very you're stuck in this like really vulnerable vulnerable position. So I think wor- workplace culture and creating a workplace that is based on inclusivity mm-hmm. is so much better and stronger. Like I I almost like I'm 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 all for accommodations, but I think we need to teach businesses um, and universities and places of work that accommodations benefit everyone. It's not just for the single person that needs it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, this is why, like I preach so much about like inclusive design um, and just inclusivity overall, because if we can create like a really inclusive world where I don't even have to ask for accommodations, I'm not stuck in these like vulnerable positions where, right. Yeah. I think your story really demonstrates, well, a couple of things, but first, just the power differential of somebody coming into a workplace, a disabled person coming into the workplace, Um, even if you're not straight out of school, right, even if you have some experience needing to be able to prove that you can do the thing, and then having people not 
trust you or believe you when you say, no, I need these accommodations, but also your point about your, uh, the spelling error on your resume. Um, I think that's a really good example of like how, uh, how much ableism has sunk itself into our society in some ways, right? And this is like ableism and also to some degree educational like expectations, like um, how we, how you're expected to show society that you're good enough, right? It's by doing things like spelling right or knowing how to do a resume or wearing your sunglasses not indoors, right? So, so like you said, social norms are important to some extent, right? They bond us, they create um, ways that we can all communicate together. But when you exclude folks based on just social norms alone, like a spelling error or you know wearing sunglasses, then to some degree it can be ableist because there are lots of reasons people have spelling errors, not only related to education level or you know um, ADHD or dyslexia, but also um, you're losing all the talents and all the abilities of these people based on kind of a silly thing, like them wearing sunglasses indoors or one word being misspelled. Like that word being misspelled isn't your whole person and everything that you can add to society and the community, right? Um, so those judgments based on little things, um, are just so harmful to society as a whole. Again, to you as an individual, obviously, very much so, but also to your point about accommodations helping everyone and inclusivity helping everybody, like you are missing out on so much talent and ability because you're making judgments based on, you know, spelling on the resume and like for autistic people, eye contact in the interview, right? That kind of stuff. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us because I think it's just so demonstrative of so many of the issues that so many of us are struggling with and kind of day-to-day -day trying to get work and trying to make a living and make a community here. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. So um, LinkedIn has now added dyslexic thinking as like a skill set. And I have such mixed feelings about this. I haven't heard um, of this. <laughs> yeah. So this is like a pretty new, new thing. Um, in the UK, it was shouted about quite a bit because right now, um, we have like a politician that's that's really um, fighting for to have um, everyone tested for uh, dyslexia, mm -hmm. um, and to like really get people tested while while they're within the education system. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. So dyslexic thinking is now like a skill on LinkedIn, and I think like when people talk about the strengths of all these different neurodiversities, right? They want the strengths, yeah. and they love it, but they don't think about all of the other things that come with that right and mm -hmm. it's like if you hire me as a creative to have my like beautiful 3d thinking and my creative problem solving and the way that I can generate ideas like this and yeah. just never seem to run out right you love that part about me and that's why you're hiring me then like allow me to have the spell mistakes yeah <laughs> you have to <laughs> you have know, like it comes with it <laughs> right like one doesn't come without the other and mm -hmm. like what, what a lot of people don't realize also about dyslexia is that if, it affects my speech so mm -hmm. much and it affects people's speech so so much and like I did a quick google search the other day on um dyslexia and seeing what came up and I, everywhere it's like reading and writing disorder like reading and writing disability mm -hmm. and that that's the first line on all of the google things and not nowhere does it say on the first line that it's an information processing disorder, right? Mm. And so, yeah, it affects reading and writing, but it also affects speech. It affects like so many different aspects. And so for, like like one office that I worked at, they loved like my ideas and they loved my creativity, 
but they hated when I was in front of a client because it was like a high pressure, stressful situation. Then yeah, my words would get jumbled. I would often Mm -hmm. like flip sentences without even realizing it. Yeah. Um, I never realized how much dyslexia actually affects my speech until I started getting on social media and filming myself more. (laughs) Yes. Right. I understand that as a podcaster. I don't don't pick it up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so, um, you know, I think like there needs to be more education on like the diversity of different neurodiversities, Mm -hmm. but also like you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right. Like if you want, like, yes, hire neurodivergent people. And like, I really encourage people hire them. They are fantastic people. They, they bring so much to an office space but you got to be okay with them being neurodivergent. We are in fact still neurodivergent. No, I completely agree with you that. And that's one of the things, one of my sort of ongoing pushes is that at least with communication, right? That, um, and again, I mostly work with autistic folks. So autistic communication is different in many ways than neurotypical communication. And that's good. There are benefits to both kinds, but it's not just that autistics should have to learn neurotypical norms. It's that neurotypical should have to learn our norms too, because they're good at different things. And I think that needs to be sort of widened out to all kinds of communication need to be welcome in an inclusive space and all kinds of, and even if, we're not the most articulate sometimes. And I know I get really inarticulate when I get excited. I also flip words. I lose English very quickly when I'm tired and I just can't come up with the word I mean. And there's a lot of like this hand motion kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And I think that's <laughs> just part of the neurodivergent and part and parcel. And, you know, some neurotypicals do it too, but it's seen as kind of a cute, weird thing that they do as opposed to just a norm, right? But we do it every day. And so, if you, I completely agree with you. I'm just like taking what you said and rephrasing it. Cause I'm like, yes. Um, I think that if you want to work with us, we bring so much to the table. We have so many talents, but you have to take our quote unquote weaknesses too, or the ways that we're different from you as a neurotypical, right? Because if you want all of our strengths, like we're people, we're complex, we are like holistic, you know, people with lots and lots of traits and all of those traits are not always going to be to the neurotypical norms. So that's such an important point. I'm so glad you brought that up. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for everything today, Chantal. Can you tell us where our listeners can learn more about you and Socolo and everything you do um, so that they can go find some of your amazing stuff (laughs) after they get off this podcast? (laughs) Um, so, um, easiest way is, um, our website. Well, sorry. It's just me. <laughs> My website. Um, I do Socolo. that too. <laughs> I keep on saying we to try to make it sound bigger, but I realize I need to stop doing that because it is just me <laughs> and it's I hard. <laughs> I do it too. Cause I'm like neurodiverging us and it's like, no, it's just me. I'm, I'm it's just me here. <laughs> so <laughs> you're not alone in that. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so socolo.co.uk, it's spelled S-O-C-O-L-O. Um, and yeah, you can find me also on Instagram and TikTok. Um, both of the handles are the same. So it's at S-O.C-O.L-O. Um, so that's kind of the best way to find me. Um, I have a little extra bit. Do you mind? No, not at all. Please tell it. us all the things. <laughs> tell us all the things. Um, so uh in, in the UK, there was like some things that were happening in like the politics. And it just became very, very clear that so many people didn't understand what dyslexia was and that dyslexia, like masking and dyslexia tends to be called like stealth dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but um essentially uh so sokolo and um this uh influencer called um girls with dyslexia um we've paired up and we've decided to declare may 25th unmasking day so we're asking everyone with all neurodiversities to unmask for a day Mm -hmm. and we're trying to create like awareness in workplaces and schools and basically everywhere how much we actually try to fit in and how much the world needs to accommodate us a little bit more and be a little bit more inclusive um so um people can participate as little or as much as they're comfortable with um so for example i'm not gonna spell check my emails for that day because too exhausting <laughs> um, and I'm excited to have a day off from it yeah um, so yeah this is actually inspired by like a comment that um, I got on one of my videos on how exhausting emailing actually mm-hmm. is um, and how when people say people who leave grammatical and spelling mistakes in emails are lazy and I was like well I spelled check that email for like over an hour there's so no such thing as lazy. I'm lazy it's just yeah. not a thing I'm sorry neurotypical <laughs> people it's not a thing <laughs> It doesn't exist. Thank you so much for sharing that. Is there, if you can send me a link, I'll put it in the show notes, folks. So um, Chantel's information on her website and everything will be in the show notes too. Um, So please check that out, but also send me information on the unmasking day so we can, we can uh, get people to participate. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Please join in. We're asking like (laughs) anyone tag, tag us. We'll send them like photos and things to have. Mm-hmm. So yeah, please join. We've, we've come up with this quite quickly. So we have about a month to get our get ducks it moving. Row, but... get it moving. <laughs> yeah. well, we can do it. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today and for being so sharing with your experience and educating so many people about these really important topics. I'm so excited for folks to hear this and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. I've had so much fun and it's been such a pleasure to get to know you more. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on Chatel on the Neurodiverging podcast today. I hope that you learned something. I hope it was of value to you. If it was, please go ahead and check out patreon.com slash neurodiverging and become a member and get all the good behind the scenes resources. And also please check out Chantel's website. Links are below, but it's socolo, S-O-C-O-L-O.co.uk. And it is fantastic stuff she has there. Um, Also, I'm putting links below to World Unmasking Day. I hope you will come and at least see what we've got going on, uh, even if you are not able to participate yourself. It is a big ask for some people, and certainly not everybody is able to be out uh, with their neurodivergences, which is unfortunate, but true. And I honor that, and so does Chantel. But if it is something you're interested in participating, or at least in supporting, please go check out those links. It's going to be really great. I'm really excited, honestly, frankly, really, really excited to see how different people, uh, neurodivergent people unmask, because obviously it's something we talk a lot about with autism and it's something we talk a lot about with dyslexia, but I, you know, I only have a couple of neurodivergences, certainly not all of them myself. So I'm honestly really excited to see what I learn from how other people are masking day to day and just what they're going through. I think it's a great opportunity to learn more about the human condition and that's what I'm here for. So anyway, I hope you'll go check those out. Thank you again to my patrons for supporting this episode of Neurodiverging and I will see you in the next one. And please remember, we are all in this together.